Welcome to Circle 3 Cowboy Fellowship's podcast. We are patriots, unafraid and unashamed to speak the truth and spread the gospel. Today's message is from Gary Lear. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the show. All right, well, we're going to open with a word of prayer. Uh, We want to remember this week, uh, I mentioned last week that the Bates family, Leroy Bates, had uh, choked on a piece of chicken and went into cardiac arrest. Well, Leroy passed away this week, so we want to remember his family tonight when we, when we come to the Lord. So uh, with that being said, let's bow our heads. Dearly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for these who have come. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and what that means to us and all he did for us on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that we can have a future and something to look forward to. Lord, we uh, just lift up the prayer request to this church now as there are many, and Lord, we know you know the needs of each and every one of them as we've got those who are loved ones in the hospital, and and we've got illness within the church, and and we've got folks that are struggling with family issues and everything, Lord. We know you know the details, and we just trust you with all things. Lord, I specifically lift up uh, the Bates and the Frudenthals tonight as I know they're suffering a loss, and I just pray, Lord, for their comfort and and just, Lord, will you make your presence known to them and uh, watch over and keep them, Jesus. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many farmers have we got in the building tonight? I know we got one in one family. There we've got some more. Okay. There's more farmers here tonight than we had this morning. So you guys are going to understand this, this sermon if you're a farmer. Where I come from, you know, out here you guys deter, uh, distinguish a difference, ranchers and farmers and so forth and so on. But where I come from, everybody's a farmer. Because farms back there oftentimes will include crop, livestock, all types of things. Uh, so everybody's a farmer back there. You're a cattle farmer, you're a hog farmer, you're a sheep farmer, or you're a crop farmer. But everybody's called farmer where I come from. Grew up doing that. We mostly ran livestock, but we did do a little bit of row crop. And so I'm familiar with the process. You know, we know and we see these guys, and and, and Earl can tell tell anybody better than I can what goes into preparing the ground out here to receive the seed, Uh, all the work that goes into it. And and, uh, these guys out here are still turning the ground over with a plow a lot of the times and then disking it up and working it up. Now, back where I come from, they've gotten a lot more into the no-till process where they just rip the ground and put the seed straight in and then dump enough uh, pesticide and, fertil- and fertilizer on top to get the job done that way. Or uh, a friend of mine, he farms about 4,000 acres back there, and he's got an implement called a renovator that goes through and pretty much just one pass. But like what Earl has to do, like what my grandpa used to do back in the, uh, back in the older days was work the ground and go over it multiple times and work it and go over it and work it and go over it. And it takes a lot of man hours and a lot of fuel and a lot of time but things have changed. Things are modernizing. But we understand that the, the process is, is you work the ground, you fertilize the ground, you put the seed in the ground, and then you step back and you hope that the seed grows. And from what I've experienced out here, most of the time, the seed grows. Uh, we've got cornfields all around us that have got tossel high corn now, putting on ears. It's, it's looking good. The corn's looking good around here this year. Uh, we've got some beans down the way. Where I come from, it's not always the case. Uh, My friend Troy was telling me the last time I talked to him, some of his bottom ground he had to plant three times this year. Because he'd get it planted, and then it'd come a rain, and the bottom would flood, and it'd wash out the seed, and he'd start over as soon as it dried out. He's got a crop now, but it took three plantings. He had to keep putting the seed in the ground. He had to keep reworking the ground to to get a crop this year. And that's 
pretty common back there. And I've seen guys get corn up as high as this corn is around here, and then you get a summer storm comes through with marble size or golf ball size hail, and the whole crop's gone. Just that quick and easy. So uh, farming is not an easy business, that's for sure. Now the Amish, where I come from, how many of you are familiar with the horse and buggy Amish? You know, okay, you've got some of you. There's not a lot of them out this way, but where I come from, we've got a lot of Amish back there, and they do things the hard way every time. They, they work their ground with horses and very small implements. Uh, I used to chuckle at the guys. They're not allowed, you know, the, the communities, each community is different, and the bishops pretty much run the community, and they, they set the standards, you know. And the community that I grew up near, that, that those bishops were strict, and they're amongst the most strict in the country. They're not allowed to own power tools. They're not allowed to own chainsaws. They can run all of that stuff for you. So when we were up there logging, you know, it was not a problem for them working for us to take our chainsaws or our log splitters and use them. But when on the weekends they would go to cut wood for themselves, they couldn't use our stuff. They had to go to their stuff. And it oftentimes would consist of a a device called a brush cutter, and basically it's mounted on two big wheels, and it's a big circular saw blade that you can lay horizontal, and they would run that up into the fence rows, and they could cut down all the small brush with it. That's just a big, over-glorified weed eater. Well, then they turned that blade around vertical, and they'd run it up to their logs, and they would work it like this, and they'd cut through the logs, and then they'd move it, and they'd cut the next piece of wood, and then they'd move it. So everything they did was the hard way. But even with that being said, they always managed to get the job done. And the one thing about an Amish farm model is, is the families are big back there. You know, some friends of mine that are back there, they come from 14 and 15 kids in, in that family. And, uh, you know, as the, as the kids start out on their own, typically it's tradition that the parents help the boys get their own farm. You know, the girls are kind of on, they got to marry well if they want to have a farm. But the boys, they help them get a farm started and then keep on going. And then when they get down to the last son, the last male child of the family, he usually inherits the family farm and takes care of mom and dad then on that farm until the time of their passing. And that's pretty much the way the tradition works there. So when these guys are first starting out on their farms, they're pretty small. You know, they milk cows. That was part of what they do to make their income back there. Uh, the milk that they do is not pasteurized, so you're not going to buy it in the store in a gallon jug. You're going to see it more in the form of cheese. You're going to see it in the form of dried milk. You know, it goes into baby formulas. It goes into all kinds of things where dried milk is more used, and that's pretty much the market for what they have. So when those guys are starting out, they might start out milking four or five cows morning and night. We're talking hand milking. And as they have more children, as the family grows, the farm grows too. So they'll move to milking more cows. They'll move to putting in more corn. They'll move because they pick their corn by hand. You know, they send a team down the rows and they pick and toss it into a buckboard. And that's how they do it. And so as they have more children, the farm gets bigger and it grows. See, I think that's a good model for the church. The reason I bring that up. It's a good model for the church. As the church grows, we have more hands on deck to do more things. So as I was preparing for my message this morning, I stumbled across this article. It was written by a pastor. I didn't take time to really look at the pastor's name, and I don't care what his name was. I like the story, so I'm going to share it with you this evening. It said, in 1990, I was invited into Eastern Europe to do a series of lectures in three countries, 
first in Czechoslovakia, then in Hungary, and finally in Romania. As we were leaving Hungary, we were told that the border guards in Romania were quite hostile to Americans and that we should be prepared to be hassled and possibly even arrested at the border. Sure enough, when our rickety train reached the border of Romania, two guards got on. They couldn't speak English, but they pointed for our passports and then pointed to our luggage. They wanted us to bring our bags down from the luggage rack and open them up, and they were very rude. Then suddenly their boss appeared, a burly officer who spoke some broken English. He noticed that one of the women in our group had a paper bag in her lap, and there was something peeking out of it. The officer said, what is this? What in bag? Then he opened the bag and pulled out a Bible. I thought, oh no, now we're in trouble. The officer began leafing through the Bible, looking over the pages very rapidly. Then he stopped, looked at me as I was holding my American passport, and he said, you know American. And he looked at Vesta and said, you know American. And then he said the same things to the others in our group. But then he smiled and said, I'm not Romanian. By now we were quite confused, but he pointed at the text and gave it to me and said, read what it says. I looked and it said, our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. The guard was a Christian. He turned to his subordinates and said, let these people alone. They're okay. They're Christians. As you can imagine, I said, thank you, Lord. This man understood something about the kingdom of God, that our first place citizenship is in the kingdom of God. I thought that's a good story. Because as much as Americans like to try to think it, it won't just be Americans that go to heaven. See, Jesus came for the entire world. He died for all. And sometimes we don't realize that. Sometimes when we think of our enemy countries, maybe Russia, maybe China, we think of them negatively because of the things that their politicians do. We don't realize that God's got people. We've got brothers and sisters, family members in those countries as well who are also citizens of the kingdom of heaven. See, we, after we accept Jesus, we become citizens first of the kingdom of heaven. Second, we're American. So what is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? What is it exactly? Well, is it just heaven where God is? Well, that's where it is right now, partly. But it's more than that. It's bigger than that. See, God is omnipresent, meaning God is everywhere. Everywhere we are, God is there. The Holy Spirit is present here on earth. So the, the kingdom of heaven must be present here on earth as well. Matter of fact, it is. As the church, we are part of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is our king. He is our savior. And not only is he our savior, he's our ruler. God is our heavenly father. We are all part of this kingdom. Even though you can't see it, even though the United States government doesn't recognize it as such, or any of the other governments of the world don't recognize it as such, we are, in fact, part of a kingdom that is apart from the regular kingdoms of the earth. And it's here today. Jesus talked a lot about one day the kingdom will come. He would talk about repent 
for the kingdom is near. John the Baptist preached, repent, for the kingdom is near. But what did they mean by near? How do we really wrap our heads around the kingdom of God? Well, it's a spiritual kingdom, but it's also a physical kingdom. And we are here evidence of that. Now, I'm going to start because I'm going to say this. The kingdom of God as we know it, or the new kingdom of God, began at the resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus was given authority, which was bought and paid for by the blood and the sacrifice that he made on the cross. And I've got evidence of that, and we're going to start with Mark chapter 14, verses 24 through 25. And Jesus is there at the table, and this is the Last Supper. We all know it. I use this scripture either found in Mark or Matthew. I usually typically read it when we're doing communion. So we got, you were familiar with this scripture. They're at the, they're at the supper. This is Jesus' Last Supper before going to his death with his disciples. So it's the last time that he has a meal before his death. And he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God. And we read that and we think about, okay, Jesus is telling us he's finished here. He's not going to drink it anymore here. He's not going to partake while he's here on earth any longer. But that's not exactly true. Because in Acts chapter 10, verses 40 through 41, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by the witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So that tells me right then and there that Jesus was telling them before his death he would not drink of the vine again until he did it in the new kingdom. After his death, he drank and ate again, which tells me that because of his death, the kingdom had finally come. See, he preached during his life that the kingdom was near. When he was on the cross, his final words, it is finished. What was finished? Well, there's several things you can take from that. His life was finished. His ministry was finished. But also, his fulfillment of the kingdom was finished. We now live in a kingdom where Christ has earned the authority over that kingdom. He is our king, folks, and we are citizens of his kingdom. The church is part of his kingdom. So during his ministry on earth, Jesus preached in parables oftentimes. And when asked about that, he would say, if I were to explain things in heavenly kingdom terms, you would not understand. So I put it in parables so that you might understand. And oftentimes, depending upon your translation, just going into a parable, Jesus would use the words, the kingdom of God is like, and then he would give his parable as a way of describing what the kingdom is like, how it is, how it works in the kingdom. In Mark chapter 4, verses 3 through 8, Jesus gives us a parable. He says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell along the rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, 
which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. And still others fell on good soil. It came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. See, it's a funny thing about a farmer. He can do everything possible to prepare the ground. You can put all the right amounts of all the right types of fertilizer down. You can work that ground until its condition is perfect. But you can't make the seed grow. That's a God thing. Don't argue with me, Gene. I'm not in the mood tonight. <laughs> you can put the seed down there, but you do nothing more. You place the seed, you sow the seed, but why that seed sprouts, why that little bitty seed turns into a plant that produces more seeds is something that is of God's control. It's not of your control. So when you put your seed down, you have no more control over what happens to it. You've done the very best you can do to prepare the ground and you've planted it. Jesus goes on in Mark chapter 4 verses 14 through 20 to explain this parable. He says, the farmer sows the word. Folks, we are the farmers. I am the farmer and you are the farmers. Our job is to sow seeds, which is the Word of God. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 is the Great Commission, and it commissions us to do just that. We share the gospel. When you look at these stories, when, when, we, when we learn about Jesus and we learn about all that took place, I've been going through the New Testament, and, and uh, I came upon the part where, where Jesus was blessed by the woman, just before his death, and, and uh, she put the perfume on him and stuff, and, and the uh, disciples came along and, and complained that, you know, why did she do that? We could have sold that and made two, three hundred denarii, and Jesus says, what she has done, she has done for me. Leave her alone, and it, people will hear about this for ages to come. And here we are. It's not a real significant, eye-opening part of the Bible, but here we are, and we still hear about her. Why is that? Because generations before us have planted seeds. See, if the word of God would have stopped being planted after Jesus ascended into heaven, we wouldn't be here today. As a matter of fact, we'd be in a world of trouble. With all that's going on in the world and all the terrible that is in the world today, all the evil that we're seeing play out, it would be hard to swallow if we didn't have the hope of Jesus, wouldn't it? If we didn't have the hope that Jesus is bigger, that Jesus is in control, that we have a future regardless of the chaos in this world. You know, I look forward to the day where Jesus reveals himself to a world that denies him. That's going to be fun for me. There's going to be a lot of neener, neener, neener going on. I'm just telling you right now. As a matter of fact, as I'm being, as I'm being raptured, I'm likely to do this. It just might happen. But it's because of generations of farmers that we are here today. Farmers who have sown the seed, which is the word of God. So when he's giving the parable, the farmer sows the word, we need to realize that is us. It says, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. 
Like I told the church this morning, from my little perch up here, we built this platform elevated so that I can see. I see everything from up here. I know who is paying attention, and I know who stares out the windows, and I know who sleeps, and I know all that stuff because I can see it. I used to, and I know who does that. How do you think that I knew Gene was fixing to argue with me a second ago? Because I saw it. And I'm sure I'm going to hear about it at dinner tonight. But I see people who come into our church, new faces, and I sow the word, and as a church, we sow the word, and I see their rejection of it as they're sitting where you sit tonight. I've seen that in this building. I recall a funeral I did a few years back in this building where I was asked to give a message. And whenever I have an opportunity to give a message at a funeral, I always give a salvation message. Because I know there's going to be people in the building for the funeral that have never heard or may never hear again a salvation message. So I take the opportunity to give a salvation message. I was presenting this, this salvation message, and there was a fellow sitting back, I think back row, right back in there where these ladies are sitting right now, who literally got up in his chair and turned his back towards me while I preached that salvation message. I have seen the seed of God rejected. I have seen the seed that is sown on the path, as Jesus is talking about in Scripture. I've seen that happen more than once. That just happens to be the most obvious that I've seen it. He goes on to say, other seed sown on rocky places, hear the word at once, receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And I have seen that too in this church. I have seen people come to us and I hear the words, oh, I finally found my church home. I love this place so much. We're going to be here every week. We are so excited and they, they hear the word of God and they accept it and they embrace it. And I've seen them do that. And then a few months down the road, I don't see them anymore. Why? Because they were the seed that was sown on the rocky places where the root did not take they got excited, they got joyful, and then life gave them a big old slap across the face. And the next thing you know, they turn from God and they're right back to the life that they were living before the seed was ever sown. They wither and die, just as Jesus is saying. I've seen that in this church. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. And we've seen that too. Guys, I love when we have our camps and we get all those little kids in. Boy, when Jesus says the harvest is plenty, you see it at camp. We need to harvest. We need to plant seeds when we have the opportunity. And we do. And this year we had 20 some odd kids give their life to the Lord. And we baptized 15 of them. And you know what the sad thing is? With the exception of a few. Thumbs up, Mom. With the exception of a few, I don't see those kids again until next camp. See, those kids are being planted. Those seeds are being planted and they are taking root and they're coming up. But the problem is they've got parents that don't bring them back to church and put them in the good soil. They've got parents who keep them in that viney, 
thick mess of a soil that they call their lives. And these kids, they come in and they get Jesus and then they go home. And for a year, the vines and the thistles and the thorns grow up around them and choke out the word. And I've seen that happen. And it breaks my heart. When we baptize these kids, the thought always goes through my mind. I wonder how many of these will actually yield a fruit. But it happens. What Jesus is saying is absolutely accurate. It happens. And then it goes on. Others, like the seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. And folks, I'm looking at a result of that here today. This church, you guys, you're keeping your seed in the fertile soil. Mom, you're doing a great job. Keep those kids here. We baptized her kids, and I see them here every week. That's great. I love those kids. See, you guys are here in the fertile soil. And you guys not only are growing, you've got a deep root, you are also beginning to yield fruit because we see the church growing and church expanding. See, just like that Amish farm, as the church grows and expands, we have more hands to do more things, and we're able to do more things. It's easy to get frustrated and flustered. We've had a long, hot summer again. And we've done a lot of activities. And as we look around, we see events where we've got 600 people come onto the property. We've got events where we've seen three or 400 people. We've, we had an event yesterday that had well over 100 people here for a horse show yesterday. We've got stuff happening. We see this. And it's easy to look at that and say we're planting as much seed as we can, but we're not seeing a lot of sprouts. Earl, if you put in 400 acres of corn... And a quarter acre came up, it would be frustrating, wouldn't it? And sometimes that's what we get when we plant a lot of seed and we don't see that seed come up. It gets disheartening. It's disheartening for a pastor, I can tell you. But it's also disheartening for those of you who are farming alongside of me and working your butts off. I understand. See, folks, God did not call us to make the seed grow. He called us to plant the seed. To work the ground and plant the seed. See, our church, Circle 3, is the farm. It's the farm that's got the soil that's good. It's got the soil that we're fertilizing and that we're working. Our job is to plant the seeds. But we cannot control whether the seeds come up any more than Earl could control when he puts corn in the ground that it's going to come up. That's in God's hands. And God even tells us some of the seed will fall amongst the thorns. Some will fall on the rocky ground. We can't control it. But what do we do? Well, we take a lesson from Troy back in Missouri, my buddy. When the creek comes up and washes out your field, you plant the seed again. And when it comes up and washes out the field, you plant the seed again. See, our job is to work the ground and plant the seeds. That's all we can do. And next year, we're going to have those kids come back through camp, and we're going to plant the seed all over again. Now, I won't baptize them all over again. I only baptize them once if I've baptized them. But we're going to plant the seed again in hopes, in hopes that somehow their parents will put them in the fertile soil. That's what we're here to do. And I want to encourage you as a church, we want to keep it up. We want to keep planting the seeds. We can't control the outcome. All we can do is plant the seeds. And I want to encourage us to do that. See, folks, we're all farmers, whether we know it or not. We have our duties, we have our jobs, just like a farmer does. We don't guarantee the seed development, we just keep sowing seed. And if we do that, 
the Lord will bless us for it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for these who have come. Again, Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus and what that means to us. We thank you for all the blessings that you've bestowed upon Circle 3 and all the opportunities that you've given us, Lord, to be farmers. We thank you for that. Lord, I just lift up prayer requests one more time in the church, and we commend those to your hands and watch over and guide those families that are in needing your touch, Lord, we pray. Pray, Lord, that you give us the stamina and the ability to continue to keep sowing seed here, Lord, for you. May all things we do, Lord, we do for your glory. Now I just pray that you be with us as we go to our fellowship time. Thank you for the food. We pray that you bless it to the nourishments of our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we got a few announcements. I've got a note here that says the garden team has got tons of basil in the garden. So if you need some basil, see... Go in and pick the leaves off right out here. Okay. On the north side. Okay. So lots of basil. So if you like to use basil or if you want fresh basil, we have got it. Uh, August 15th, we've got a Gymkhana at 10 a.m. Uh, we have uh, postponed our uh, roping that was going to go on that night as well due to the NTR being in town. So we're going to reschedule our roping for the 29th, we've got a jackpot roping here. The 29th, we want to sign in by 545. We're going to try to start riding by 6. So that will be on the 29th of this month. Uh, ladies Bible study is continuing on at 930 a.m. here at the church on Wednesdays. Zoom Bible study will resume, and that's a ladies Zoom Bible study, and it's going to resume in September. Um, if you're new to the church and you've not been here before, we've got coffee mugs. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you'd like to, but you're not really sure how, please feel free to email us at circle3podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's circle, the number three, podcast at gmail.com. We would love to help you out. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and click follow. That way you never miss a message. Cowboy churches are the fastest growing in the nation, so there's sure to be one near you if you'd like to try it out. Have a great day. See you next time.